family of faith. So today up here, we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Malachi. And specifically, we are going to see how the Israelites dishonored their God by giving Him only the bare minimum. And when I say the bare minimum, you've probably got something in your mind. You've, we've all experienced people who have treated us with the absolute bare minimum. When we go and we're getting checked out at the grocery store, and the, check, the person who's cashing, the cashier at the check register has even less joy than they have hustle, they just slowly are going through the line, and you're like, come on, maybe a smile, maybe a little hurry up. Uh, maybe that Mother's Day card that you've received at like 9 o'clock at night when your teenage child realized they hadn't made anything, so they like grabbed a sheet of paper they found on the counter that had a drink ring on it already, and they folded it in half and grabbed a marker and just wrote, Happy Mother's Day, and handed it to you, and you're like, oh, wow, you thought of me. Or, you know, teachers out there, you know when you've gotten homework turned in that is the bare minimum. You can see the person, the kid just kind of scribbled some words on there. The spelling's terrible. The answers are completely wrong. And they were thinking, well, at least it's on time this time, right? And so when you're on the receiving end of such minimal effort, such pathetic attempts, does it make you feel important or like the other person actually cares about the job that they're doing? Of course not. You just look at them and you go, what are you doing? Why do you care so little? It leaves you thinking, maybe I should try a different store next time. Or why do I put so much effort into being a mom when my kids don't care? I know teachers who after a bunch of kids who just don't try on homework and they just give the bare minimum on tests, they start wondering, why am I even a teacher? And should I find a different career choice? And what's interesting is, for the most part, we understand the importance of giving our best at work. And we understand the consequence of giving the bare minimum. Like, say in your marriage, if you just did the bare minimum relationally, you would end up in the doghouse if you're a husband. You would end up on the couch as your wife would be like, why are you not helping around here at all? You never buy me anything. You never say you love me. You don't do anything. It ends up in relational conflict. Because when you're in a relationship, there's an expectation that I'm going to give you my best and I expect you in return to give your best as well. That's how relationships work. Um, when we turn our attention to the book of Malachi, we see this exact situation play out. While God had the same expectations for His special covenant people, He loved them. As we've talked about, He poured out His love on the Israelites. He made them special and unique versus all the other people of the world around. As we looked at last week, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Comparatively, He has a special covenant with this people. And yet, they did not show Him their love in return to Him in the way that He at all expected. So today we're going to be continuing in Malachi chapter 1. I'm not going to actually put this text on the screen today, which is unusual for me, but there's too much of it. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you, turn to Malachi chapter 1. It's the last book before you get to the New Testament. So if you get to Matthew, go back just a couple of pages and you will find it there. It's the very end of our Old Testament. 
And today's passage really comes in two parts. So you're getting two mini-services for the price of one. Both of these are God's message to the priests at the temple and how they are failing in their jobs. And as a result of their failures as priests, they are dishonoring God. And so we're going to be looking at these two issues here together as one way that the priests are bringing dishonor on God. And so the first passage we're going to look at is chapter 1, verse 6, through the end of the chapter. And we're going to see how the priests are failing God by allowing inferior sacrifice from the people to be brought to God. So before we begin reading, I just want to say this one note. Pay attention to these two words, honor and contempt. I want you to see how honor is when you treat something of great value and contempt is the opposite of that. It's basically dishonor. It's disregard for something or someone treating them as worthless. And so obviously God deserves honor from all the world, but that's not how he feels the Israelites are treating him. So here we go. Malachi 1 verse 6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I'm a father... Where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now, plead with God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty." But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. So here we see, ultimately, this God showing why He deserves to be honored. First He says, I'm your father. And He says, I'm your master. Your father deserves honor. Your master deserves honor. I deserve your honor. But he sees it's not coming. And so it's interesting. He instead feels completely dishonored. And so he keeps using this word uh, 
contemptible. We don't use that word a lot. Contemptuous, contempt. Some of your Bibles might have alternated between despised and contempt, but if you read it in the Hebrew, that word is the same Hebrew word every one of those times. So in the new, the NIV version that I'm reading from uh, 2011, they use the same English word each time to show how repetitive that concept is. This dishonor that the people are bringing to God. And what's interesting in this connection back to the verses that we just saw last week, contempt is what Esau showed to God's people when he sold his birthright to his brother Jacob for a pot of stew. That same word was contempt. Just to treat as worthless the things that God values and esteems. And so, he also contrasts their contempt that the people of Israel are showing right now with these sacrifices, with the honor that is one day going to be shown to him by all the nations across the earth. I love that picture, that foreshadowing, that God knows right now you are my covenant people, but he sees the new covenant that's going to be opened up that everybody who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be able to be saved. And this contempt, ultimately, it came from the offering of these blemished animals. I'm sure you picked that up. You guys know livestock. We live in southern Iowa. Basically, these are the cull animals that you're wanting to get rid of, take them out of your herd because they have bad genetics. You don't want more like that animal. They're worthless to you. And so what is that saying? When you're giving to God, essentially, your worthless animals that you didn't want anyway, And nobody else really wanted from you. When the people did this, they missed the point of what a sacrifice is. Sacrifice is a response to love. God doesn't need their sacrifices. He's a God like the nations around the Israelites, they believed that their gods needed to be fed and given drink. And so that's why they had this regular system of wine offerings and of food offerings because they were feeding their gods. That's not at all how the God of the Israelites set up these sacrifices. He doesn't need anything from the people. The sacrifice, what they miss, it it is a response to love. To say, God, I understand in this covenant, you love me and I love you. And this is how I show you my love through this sacrifice that I give back to you. God's response to this mess of their pathetic sacrifices is that he says he wished someone would put an end to these inferior offerings by just locking the temple doors and putting out the fires. He'd prefer no sacrifice at all to what they were actually doing, what was dishonoring His name. The passage reminds me a little bit of Jesus' words in the very last book of the Bible when we get to Revelation chapter 3, the letters to the churches. There's this letter to the church of Laodicea where He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus wants us to either be all in or all out. He'd rather you give Him the sacrifice He deserves rather than one, and one that costs you something or no sacrifice at all. 
He doesn't want you to just go through the motions, doing the bare minimums, giving Him something that doesn't cost you a thing. He's not interested in getting your bare minimum. He's not interested in you being tepid in your relationship with Him. He doesn't want you to be kind of a Christian on Sunday mornings only. And the people's problem here with this whole sacrificial system is that they didn't understand why God instituted the sacrifices. You see, sacrifice is an opportunity to honor, not an obligation. But the Israelites missed that. It says they saw it as a burden. They took for granted that the God who is above all the people of the earth and above all the other so-called gods had chosen them. He'd picked them to be His covenant people. He'd picked them to be the ones that He would provide for, that He would protect, that He would make them a great nation, that He would bring them into the promised land both in their day and ultimately for all of eternity. He elevated them. And all He asked for was that they would recognize what He had done and respond appropriately with love and honor and sacrifice as He showed them. And because they see this whole arrangement as an obligation, they instead choose to cheat the system. They promise the pure, valued animal, but then at the last minute, they grab the one that they were going to get rid of anyway. The blind, the blemished, the lame, and say, yeah, this is good enough for God. In this covenant relationship, as it turned into an obligation and a burden, the relationship started to fall apart as it does if we treat another person as an obligation or a burden. And that's what happened for each and every one of them. And so here's where this text now hits us like a ton of bricks. We do the exact same thing. In the New Testament, we're given a new picture of sacrifice. You guys understand, we don't have a little altar back here, and I don't ask you to bring animals that we can burn and slaughter several times a year where we have this big system. I'm not splattering blood along the walls of this building like they did in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's a new sacrificial system. And Jesus is the one-time sacrifice who paid the penalty for all of our sins once and for all. But we also get a different picture that our lives are a sacrifice to God. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He writes these words. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we now have an opportunity not to say, okay, God, am I going to bring you my good bull or am I going to bring you my bad bull? But we say, God, am I going to bring you a life that is pure and holy and honoring? Or am I going to give you my scraps? That's the question before every one of us today. What kind of sacrifice are you going to give to God? Are you giving Him your very best? Is your life one that is worthy of the God you serve? Or are you giving Him a blemish sacrifice? Are you giving Him your leftovers, the bare minimum? Do you resent 
that God asks for your time and your money. And you just see that as the church being greedy. And so you, you know, just because you have to drop a little bit in the offering plate and you show up once in a while just so that people don't think bad of you. If that's where you're at, if you're doing this just to not feel guilty, you're in the exact same boat as the Old Testament Israelites. You see it as a burden and you miss the opportunity. In your relationship with God, perhaps it's moved sour. It's lost its joy and it's turned obligation. And if that's you, how do you think God feels about the sacrifice of your life? He's probably saying, you know what? Don't even bother. Just like He said in the book of Revelation, either be hot or be cold, but don't be lukewarm. Don't even bother. He wants your whole heart. He has given you everything. And He wants that response from us. So think about that. Are you giving God your best? Chew on that this week. So we're halfway done with the message. We're at intermission time. Now we're going to jump into chapter 2. Okay? And in chapter 2, we see a warning to the priests where now the priests are failing the people because they're doing inferior teaching about God. I'm going to pick up Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, And now you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from the festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. This called for reverence and he revered me and he stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in His mouth, and nothing false was found on His lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from His mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble." You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. So God had this special covenant with Levi. They were the ones who were from his family, one of the tri 12 tribes of Israel. They became the priests. They served God's in the temple. And he made a covenant with Levi, one of blessings and curses. And Levi and the early priests honored God. They revered Him. And as a result, they reaped the blessings. But what God's saying is, you have fallen away. You no longer honor Me. You despise Me. You have contempt for Me. And so, ultimately, they have dishonored God in every way. And so what exactly is God upset with? How did they dishonor God? The accusation is when he says, true instruction was on Levi's lips and he turned many from sin. 
That's not at all the case with these priests. They have turned from the way it says, and they have caused many to stumble. That's a really big deal. Basically, the priests were changing their teaching. Perhaps they were watering it down and avoiding the truth of God's law. Maybe they just weren't teaching the things that were true. Maybe they were avoiding the parts of the law that they just were uncomfortable teaching that made people upset. Whatever the case, it was inferior. And it was not what God wanted for them. It was not the true instruction that priests were to be sharing with the people. And as a result, it caused many to stumble. And no pastor wants to be accused of leading their congregation, leading their church family to stumbling, to leading people they care about to drifting far away from God. But that's exactly what God is calling out in this passage. And I get it. Today as a pastor, there is a pressure to not say the really hard things or to soften it so that people don't get upset. There are a lot of topics that are in the Word of God that I know when I speak it, there are going to be people in this room who are listening to say, do you go far enough or do you not go far enough? Or how are you going to translate that? And so there's a a little bit of a pressure to say, well, do I really want to go in that direction? Every pastor feels it. And God is saying, priests, teachers, teach true instruction. Don't avoid it. Don't water it down. That's why we're going through the book And last week, we got to unpack predestination. And Jacob I've loved, and Esau I hated. And next week, we're talking about divorce. These aren't easy passages. As a pastor, I don't look at these and go, oh yeah, that'll be fun. I look at those and realize, okay, that's a needle to thread. But at the same time, if it's in the Word of God, it's up to me to say, we all need to hear it. We all need to learn from it. And when I teach these passages, though, I understand I'm not trying to just hold up my Bible and pound it and say, it's in there. We need to understand it. We also talked about in the previous series, there's teaching with grace and truth. And we have to figure out how do we learn without just hitting people in the teeth and saying, you're wrong and you're a sinner and this is what God's Word says about it. So we have to balance that, grace and truth, making sure that we teach what's in the Word of God. I want to make sure you all hear what God's Word says, but hear it in a way that you hear the heart of God and His love for each and every one of you. And here's why this section of the text hits home for you all as much as it does for me, though. You know, because as I read this, you're all like, well, Ryan, that sounds like that's a passage for you. When we get to the New Testament, remember I already said in the New Covenant it shifted the sacrifice and we become living sacrifices. Well, in the New Testament, the priesthood is also changed. There are no longer priests in the line of Levi. Instead, we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You all now today are a holy priesthood. You all have direct access to God. You all are models and teachers with your very lives to those around you. 
You get into conversations with friends and family that I might never get into. You have the opportunity to speak the truth in love with those family members in a way I might not be able to. I'm not the only priest here who's held to true instruction. We all are. We're a kingdom of priests. A royal priesthood. And so that's why this second passage also applies to all of us. We need to be seeking to know God's Word clearly and to be courageous enough to respond using God's Word in situations with people. And I'm not saying that at the Thanksgiving table you bring up the most delicate topic with a family member and say, hey, you know what? You're living in sin. You need to fix this. Like, we have to, by the leading of the Spirit, be willing to delicately have these conversations. And I'm not saying every time you see the person, you have to speak into it. But also you have to have the courage that when the opportunity presents itself, you are willing to speak about it and say the hard things and express your heart of love towards that person and wanting God's best for them. We all know that giving our bare minimum in life doesn't cut it. But sometimes as all our other obligations and relationships suck our time and our energy, we find ourselves giving God our leftovers. We treat Him like He's the tenth priority. But He's not okay with that. He's not going to settle for anything less than being at the top of our list. He deserves all of our honor. He deserves our very best. God has given us everything and what He asks is that we give Him the honor that is due to Him. This means we first seek to know the truth about how He wants us to live. We have to know that. Some people don't even seek that instruction and they just go, well, I'm going to follow Jesus and now I'm going to live my life however I want. Like, no, if you're going to follow Jesus, and you're going to say, you are my Master and my Lord and my Savior, then we should actually care about how Jesus wants us to live. We should seek that out. That's why we come to church. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we get into groups, so that we learn. God, what does it look like to honor you with our lives? But then we do more than just learn about it. We have to actually put it into practice. That's how we honor Him, with our very lives and not just our lips. So many people, it's easy to go to church. It's easy to read the Bible. It's harder to live out the instruction that God's Word calls us to. To love the unlovable. To, when people wrong you, to just let it go and to not keep a record of wrongs. Those are hard things to do. To not be greedy, but to actually be generous with your money. When you see a need, be willing to write the check. When the... Church, you come into church to be willing to give not just what's left over in your checkbook, but to make giving the first priority of how you spend your money. These are hard things to do. But God wants our honor. And we honor Him, as Romans says, with a sacrifice of our very lives. It's how we live. It's how we obey. Philippians 2 tells us, that God gave Jesus the name, and therefore the honor, that's what the name stands for, that is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
And this means that one day in the future, every single person, every created being is going to bow down to God and give Him the honor He deserves. That's our future. And that's not an obligation. I believe that once every creature sees His glory for themselves, then we're going to understand this incredible opportunity that God has given us to start early in giving Him honor and glory and praise with our lives every single day. All glory and honor to Jesus our King. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray?